Well, good morning, community of faith. How are we doing this morning? Ready to watch Kansas City Chiefs beat up on the San Francisco 49ers? Yeah, okay. At least eight of us are. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you took time to come because what I want to talk to you about this morning, I think is one of the most misunderstood parts of, of the Christian life, really. And I want us to talk a little bit about how to uh, really let the truth set us free. I'm, I have a concern that in America today, that there is this kind of misconception about what it means to even be in the middle of God's will, that we've kind of conflated the, the American dream with Christianity. And so we've got to get some of that straight. You remember last week we talked about what we do when our expectations and reality collide. We talked about a lot of different areas. But one of the things we said is, is that we've got to understand the truth. Jesus himself taught us life is difficult. And when we understand that it's difficult, somehow it doesn't seem quite so difficult. He said, you will have tribulation. If you're a believer, you're going to experience more tribulation, more suffering, more persecution. If you get married, Paul said you just added to that, right? And so we, we look at all of these different things and, and we've got to get that down. Also, there's going to be storms that come into our life that we don't understand. God, why are you doing what you're doing? Or are you doing anything? Are you even there? I don't know what's going on right now. And maybe some of you find yourself there. Let's just be honest. We don't really have a fat clue what God is making us into, making out of us as believers. I mean, he tried to help us see it in the Bible, but there's these little hints and these little understandings, but it, it it's just kind of goes right past us. Our little brains, our little pea brains have a hard time really understanding it. They kind of lock up and get stuck and we start Blaming God, complaining, whining before we even get started. And the world out there has a bunch of questions too. My dad in the hospital this week, his nurse, he had a male nurse at night that would be there at night most of the nights. And, and um, that guy, he, you know, he found out, dad goes, my son's a pastor. He's, oh, I don't like organized religion. I said, well, you should come to our church because we are not very organized. And it's just, <laughs> come on, you're going to love it. But... Uh, <laughs> And he said, okay, first question right out of the gate. He says this, God can't be all powerful and perfectly good. Look around you. He can't be all powerful and perfectly good. He, he's, I mean, look at all this mess. Look at all this evil. Look at all this stuff. And he said, how could, how could you even believe in him? And I said, well, why would you think any of this stuff has anything to do with God? And he said, because he's God, you know. And I said, well, if you study the Bible, what the Bible says about God is that he gave to our very first ancestors dominion over this planet. He said, I've created this planet, I've created you, and I give you rulership. I give you dominion, have dominion. And it was given to mankind. And God always keeps his word. And our very first ancestors fell on their face and said, I'm going to not follow God's way. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to try to be God. And it just got balled up and it's just been getting worse and worse and worse as all of us have done that. And God keeps his promises. He's not stepping over us. He's given us dominion. So all this stuff you see is our rulership gone bad, you know? He goes, huh? I never, is that what the Bible says? And I said, that's what the Bible says. I mean, but 
you know, you can, you can see what you think about that. And then I, I, I talked to a friend this week that she found out her husband had been unfaithful. And she said, why should I believe God or even trust him? He, she said, my life has been difficult. My father betrayed me. Basically, every man I've ever known has betrayed me. Uh, now I thought, well, I was doing good, and, and, and I'm, I've come into this relationship with God. I'm trying to walk with him, my husband, and we've been coming and going to church, and now he's betrayed me. I, I just feel like God has betrayed me. What's going on? Where's God? I read this letter this week. Pastor, I think I've lost my faith in the power of prayer. It seems like I've asked so many things in Christ's name that weren't answered. I get the skeptical feeling that would, have been, that would have happened one way or the other, whether I asked it or not. If it comes out the way I asked, then I say, my prayer was answered. If it doesn't, I say, well, God chose not to answer it this way, or he'll answer it later if I keep praying, etc. I haven't by any means rejected Christianity, but I can't, no matter how much I want to, give myself wholeheartedly to a way of life I'm so uncertain about. Have you been there? Some of you are going like, Mark, what do you mean been there? I am there, right? I don't understand what God's doing right now. I don't understand what's going on in my life. God, I'm pretty confused. But in the midst of everything, God is doing something in us, to us, for us. The Bible talks about us being a new creation and new in the sense of something that's never been seen before. Those of us who've stepped into Christ and become believers, if we've asked him to be the boss of our lives, on the inside, he's made us something new. You can't necessarily see it on the outside, but on the, our spirit, we become this, this new creation. And what the Bible says is for a little while, we'll be lower than the Elohim, which is the angels. But then it has, God has a plan to exalt us to the, the, the highest place of creation. And listen to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9. I has not seen, ear has not heard, things never discovered or heard before, things beyond our ability to imagine. These are the things God has in store for those who truly love him. So we're being forged as we go through suffering, trials, testing. Colossians 3 says, when Christ himself is revealed for who he really is, you will be revealed for who you really are. And you're not even going to believe who you are. You don't even know who you are. You don't even know what God is making you into. What, what do you think that means? He says we're going to share his glory. James says count it all joy when you encounter suffering. Well, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, that's like flipped upside down. And then we look around and we say, you know, God's got his blessing on them because uh, they're comfortable and they're not having any problems and Everything's going really good with them and, and prosperous and all of these things that God's got his hand of blessing on them. That's the American dream. See, the truth is, you going through all these different things, God's got his hand of blessing on you. But we don't understand that. He's making you into something. He's forging your character into something. He's using, he doesn't cause bad things. He doesn't, but he works bad things to, it, that come into your life to forge you into what he's wanting to make you into. Some of you are going like, wow, I, I didn't realize that. I've been living kind of small. 
I mean, what do you think God has in store for us in eternity? What do you think he's doing in eternity with us? This is, this is just the start. This is just learning. We're going to go into eternity and we're going to, whatever you can imagine, it's way short of what it is because it says no one could even imagine. No one will ever imagine. It's beyond what you can imagine. The writer of the book of Hebrews is writing to a group of believers who are suffering. And they've had all of their worldly goods taken away from them. Some are in prison. And they don't know what God is doing. My expectation of what God should be doing and what I see around me, it doesn't make sense. When I, what I see in the circumstances of my life and in my world, that expectation and the reality, it's colliding big time. I don't know what to do. God, please explain. And I think God would say, little one, I would, but you couldn't grasp it. You, you can't get it. It's too big for you to even comprehend. But look what God does. We're going to see in this passage. He does give us something to grasp hold of. Something to anchor us to him when his ways seem impossible to understand or comprehend. Let's read it together. Open that little worship folder. I've got some blanks in there and some, some scripture in there. In book of Hebrews... The writer of Hebrews says this, among men it's customary to swear by something greater than themselves. And if a statement is confirmed by an oath, that's the end of all quibbling. So in this matter, God, wishing to show beyond doubt that his plan was unchangeable, confirmed it with an oath. So that by two utterly immutable, unchangeable things, the word of God and the oath of God, who cannot lie... We who are refugees from this dying world might have a source of strength. In the original language, that word strength is literally strong encouragement. I want to give you strong encouragement and might grasp the hope that he holds out to us. So God's saying, you can't grasp the explanation of what I'm making you to become, but you can grasp this. And he holds out a precious gift to us. Hope, encouragement, strength. His heart toward us is good. His character is good. See, there's some things that God wants for you and he wants it desperately for you because he loves you so much number one write this down God doesn't want us to waste our sorrows don't waste your sorrows our sorrows are accomplishing something our sufferings are it runs through all of the new testament also write this down he longs for us to keep faith in life's storms he wants you to keep faith. It's important. Why? Because he's forging you. He's creating you. He's making you into something. The passage that we just read in the book of Hebrews is referring to God thousands of years ago telling Abraham and his descendants, I will be faithful to you and accomplish my purpose for you. In fact, let, let me just read it to you all the way back from the book of Genesis chapter 22. It says this, God talking. I solemnly swear by my own name, decrees the Lord. I will indeed bless you. I will greatly multiply your descendants so they will be as countless as the stars in the sky or the grains of sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the strongholds of their enemies. And from your descendants, all the peoples of the earth will discover true blessing. All this is because you have obeyed my voice. Well, who are the descendants of Abraham? Well, you say, well, it's the Jewish people who are the inheritors of the promise the Jewish 
people, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says Abraham, Romans 4, 11, is the father of all of us who believe. Christ even said to the Pharisees in his day, those religious leaders, they said, Abraham is our father. And he said, Abraham is not your father, even though you're a Jew. You're of your father, the devil. Now, see, I always liked that Jesus was kind of, you know, straight to the point, right? And I want you to, I don't know why they wanted to crucify him. What would you do? Your daddy is the devil, right? I mean, coming face to face with Jesus must have been coming like face to face with a hurricane because he just called it like he saw it, right? And, and he said, you're of your father, the devil, because you don't believe in me. Abraham saw my day and he believed. His children are believers. If you stepped into this relationship with Christ, then you're an heir, a descendant of Abraham, according to the Bible. We who believe are Abraham's children. This promise is for us. And when we look at this, we start to see the incredible love of God, the incredible humility of God. Do you know how much he loves you? I mean, this shouldn't be overlooked. This is the God of the universe, the God who never lies, the God who cannot lie. I mean, because that's who he is. He's, he's the truth, the way, the life, right? And he humbles himself to come down into the little courtroom of your mind. And he says, I can't lie. I will never lie. I'll always tell you the truth. If I make a promise, I'll always keep it. But I want you to know, I need you to even understand more. And I know in human terms, when you take an oath, that usually that helps. You know, in Washington, they take an oath and, you know, they try to check if they've perjured. Them, and you think, well, maybe he's telling the truth because he's, he's under oath, right? I swear on the Bible, so help me God, right? Not too sure it really helps anymore, but what does God do? How does he do it? I swear, so help me, me. I don't know. I mean, but what he's saying is, I want you to know something. I'll even do it your way. I'll come down and I'll swear an oath to you. I will keep my word to you. Because I want you to know that I keep my word. That I do it. That I'm, I haven't forgotten you. I, my promises still stand. My purpose for you still stands. God, where are you? I don't see you. How can you be good and all this is happening? How can you love me? I mean, are you even there? I swear by myself, I'm here. I love you. My heart for you is good. Write this down. He goes to great effort to show us his heart, that he is trustworthy. He's completely trustworthy. And man, we need convincing, don't we? I mean, it may be impossible for God to lie, but people are sure pretty good at it, right? Just like my friend this week, I've been betrayed by every man in my life. Wow. They've broken promises. They might have even sworn by the name of my almighty God that they're gonna keep a promise and they break it. They break their word and they break our hearts. Maybe they made a vow. I'm vowing before God till death do us part. And that jerk did not die. He just departed, right? You're like, what, what, what? So I found that if one 
doesn't have a trustworthy parent. Like my friend said this week, my father betrayed me. It, it, it's really hard to trust our heavenly father if we didn't have a trustworthy earthly father. History, our own history makes it difficult sometimes to believe anyone, even God. But God is not like people. Remember we studied last week, God is other. God never lies. He doesn't lie. And it sounds like a simple thing. I believe God doesn't lie, but do you have to kind of confess deep down? I don't really trust you, God, in this area of my life. <laughs> I, I, I kind of want to take care of this myself. I mean, I, I, you know, with the kids, I'm going to kind of, kind of, kind of controlling here because I think I'll be God for them, right? Or with the finances, or with. But God doesn't lie. It's impossible for Him to do so. You may think that He's deceived you, but He has. Not You may think that he's going to deceive you, but he will not. It's simply not possible. And God has gone to great lengths. Taking an oath, he says, I'm the grounds of your hope. My very character is the grounds of your hope that I will keep my promise to you, my purpose for you. Well, what promise did God desire for us who believe so much that he swore? Let me read it to you again. God wishing to show beyond doubt that his plan was unchangeable, confirmed it with an oath. What's the hope he's talking about? Here it is, you ready? His good plan and purpose for you never changes. That's the hope. God says it doesn't look like it right now. It doesn't feel like it right now. You can't see it right now, but I swear by all that I am, I know what I'm doing. My heart towards you is good and there's a purpose. Now, God didn't cause the bad thing, but he's working his purpose in it. God humbles himself and he leans down because he loves you. And he wants us to know when reality doesn't measure up to our expectations, God, you've disappointed me. I'm disappointed you were discouraged. He knows our souls get restless and can easily drift. So, he provides exactly what we need. A miracle? Sometimes. You guys prayed on Sunday for my dad on Monday. I mean, I thought I was going to lose him this week. It turned around like crazy. A miracle. It was so cool to see God do that. But you know what? Maybe a miracle right now won't accomplish his purpose in you or in me. He provides an anchor. You've got to see this. It's amazing. God says, refugees from a dying world, be encouraged and grasp the hope that I'm holding out to you. Verse 19 of Hebrews 6, that hope is real and true. An anchor to steady our restless souls. A hope that leads us back behind the veil to where God is, as the high priest did in the days when reconciliation flowed from sacrifices in the temple and back into the place where Jesus, who went ahead on our behalf, has entered since he has become a high priest forever. I want you to see number two, God anchors a lifeline to us in a dying, restless, unstable world. And everyone in this world has an anchor. The only question is, what are you anchored to? How well does it hold? If your soul is anchored to your money, what are you gonna do when the money runs out? If your soul is anchored to your spouse, what are you gonna do when your spouse runs out or maybe passes away? 
if your soul is anchored in your career, what are you going to do when the economy tanks and the boss comes and says, we're downsizing your department? If your soul is anchored in your happiness or in your circumstances, what do you do when hard times come? See, a ship doesn't really need an anchor in calm waters, just kind of floating around, content just to drift along. But when the wind comes, when the hurricane comes in to the harbor, the anchor is the only thing that keeps it from being wrecked. So the purpose of the anchor is to hold the ship firm in the midst of the storm, to prevent it from being shipwrecked. If you put your anchor in the sand, it's never going to hold. You need a place for your anchor to rest where it can't be moved. And the problem is that everything in this world is sand and dust. It, it, it's all dust. It's all going to return to dust. It's all, it, it's temporary. Nothing in this world will ever be strong enough to hold when your life falls apart. We need an anchor which can't be moved no matter whatever happens, which means we need an anchor that is quite literally out of this world. Well, fortunately, that's what God says he's providing. He says the anchor, write this down, is secure on the other side of the veil. What in the world does that mean? The anchor is on the other side of the veil. The anchor, this hope that leads us back behind the veil to where God is. Well, there's a hint. It's where God is. The veil, it refers back to the Holy of Holies in the temple of the Jewish temple. There was one place covered with a veil. No one could see inside. It had some of the most holy artifacts. God said, my presence dwells here. Once a year, the high priest would go in. They would put a rope around his waist. He would go in and offer a sacrifice for all of the people. They had to put a rope around his waist because if he passed out or had a heart attack and died in there, they just have to leave him in there till next year so they could pull him out. That was the whole point of the rope, okay? Because no one else could go in there. It was just God. God's too holy. Well, I think the veil is where God is. It's the spiritual realm. You see, the, the, heaven is not like a million miles up, straight up, you know, first star to the north, straight on till tomorrow, whatever. You know, it's like, that's, that's Peter Pan. But heaven is here right now. But there's a veil between us and it. There's angels all around us right now, the Bible says. There, there's heavenly things going on. There's a spiritual realm all around us, but we can't see it. We're, our eyes are veiled from that. God's on the other side of that veil. And he says, I want you to hook your anchor, or I want you to know that I'm taking your anchor to hook it on the other side of the veil. And this is super important. Jesus took it with him. In fact, Jesus is probably the anchor if you really look at it. But number three, I find stability in life as I hold on to the lifeline, which also is securely connected to me. An anchor's outside the ship. It's that which steadies us. It can't be a part of ourselves. It can't be our fickle emotions. Man, they are all over the place. Honey, I just love you so much. Honey, I can't stand you. That was like five minutes apart, right? This morning, what happened? Emotions, that's not an anchor. It steadies us, and God promised us this anchor is going to steady your restless soul because he knows our soul's inclined to drift, and an anchor prevents drift. If we have an anchor in heaven, it means that our, our restlessness on earth can be dealt with. And you know why we're restless? Because nothing works the way it's supposed to. Have you figured that out yet? Everything's broken. Even our DNA is broken. 
and, and, and our relationships are broken. We've done a royal mess in being the rulers of this little planet here, right? God says, have dominion, and boy, we just messed it up every which way. Even the planet's broken. And so we think if we want our anchor in this world, our restlessness, it's just never going to end because we'll keep looking for a place to drop anchor. I'll swipe right, tender, drop anchor on that man. Woo! That is not going to work, right? And so you're going, telling me, you know? But it's like, no, it, it, it. It's like we'll wander from place to place, job to job, church to church, person to person, looking for something better. Did you know that was Cain's curse? He killed his brother, Abel. The very second generation, I mean, this is how messed up we got so fast. He killed his own brother and God said, I curse you, you will be a wanderer in the earth. Are you a wanderer? Are you a wanderer? I mean, trying to drop anchor no it didn't work drop anchor not safe drop anchor so you started with your own dad and you said I'll drop anchor in that man surely I'm a five-year-old girl and this guy's no how'd that work out you you see what I'm saying it but if we have our anchor in heaven if we have our anchor with God where God is we're already there where we need to be we're in the perfect harbor then we can stop searching for it here and this amazing thing happens when we do that we become free to dock our boat in an imperfect harbor because we realize there's storms in every harbor and we expect them God says I want you to grasp the hope that I hold out to you faith rests on the promises of God not our feelings not our circumstances but with both hands we cling to some word of promise, looking into God's face, saying to him, I don't feel it, it doesn't look like it, but oh, Father, I know you can't be unfaithful. Number three, life change happens as I pull forward by faith. You see, an anchor is no good unless it's attached to the boat. Large ships in this time were attached by a heavy chain with links that were unbreakable, basically. And scripture, the Bible, is like that chain. One truth connected to another. Like the links of a mighty chain. There was a thing they did back in this day, and this is what faith is really like. It was called kedging. You know what kedging is? It it was the idea in, in ancient times where when a big hurricane or something came into the harbor, the ships weren't ready for it. Some of them were too big, and they would be pushed against the shoals and crushed, well, they would put the anchor in a little boat and get some of the crew to go out as far into the deep water as they could get and drop the anchor as far as the chain would allow. And they would drop it. And then all of the crew would pull link by link by link, moving the boat out to deeper water, kedging. And that's what basically it's talking about. Here, I want you to grasp the hope that I've set out for you. Grasp it, pull that promise, grasp it, pull that promise. We've got to know God's word. 8,000 promises in scripture. When storms come, we're grasping and pulling into God's trustworthy word. Link by link, 
Bible promise by Bible promise, we're becoming something beyond imagination. Don't waste your sorrows. Don't waste your sorrows. When riches dwindle, when friends fail, when health declines, when you have difficulty and persecution and tribulation and trial, when all hope is gone, still standing the purpose and the promise of God. It won't move. It's solid. Paul lost everything, everything in life. And he declares that it was a good exchange because in the losing of everything, he found God. And he said, it was worth it to know God. It was so worth it to know his purpose. We cling to his promises. The greater truth even is that even when we fail and we tire and we can't even grasp it anymore, you know what we find? It's not like you fall away, oh, I'm lost. If you've ever stepped into this journey with God, that anchor is attached to you. It's just as strong as it's attached to Jesus. And when you come to the end of yourself and I'm too, I can't even, I'm just flat on my back, I can't do anything, you find he's still holding you. You know why the Bible says? Even when we're faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. I swear by myself, my purpose for you is good. I swear by myself that I love you with all of my heart. My heart towards you is good. I know it doesn't look like it. I know you can't feel it. I know you can't taste it. I know you can't see it. But I'm good. And I want only good for you, little girl. I'm not like your earthly father. I'm not looking at performance-based acceptance. I accept you. I love you. But I want you to become Little boy, I got you. Come on, we can do this. Get up, wipe yourself off. Let's go. In the book of Revelation, as the Bible's closing out, Jesus speaks to the apostle John in a vision. It's, it's some kind of crazy vision. It's like, God, it's like John is really there in heaven. I don't understand exactly how it worked, but you can, I mean, it's like he's just there, you know? But yet it's a vision. And then Jesus speaks to him. He recognizes, he knows Jesus, he walked with Jesus. And Jesus says, I have a word for the churches. And he spoke to the churches of that day. And when he got to the one that was in the city of Laodicea, he said this, I have this against you. You're not cold and you're not hot. You're just kind of floating and drifting with the world. You're lukewarm. It makes me want to vomit. Again, Jesus, what do you really think about the church, you know? It's like, how would you like, you know what? You make me want to vomit. That's not, that's not where you want to be with God, right? But then he says this, and it's probably the most amazing promise ever given to anybody, anywhere. Jesus says, here, turn around. Behold, verse 20 of chapter three of Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. And it's a generic hymn here, ladies. It's talking about all of us, okay? He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my 
throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is our hope. This is our encouragement. This is our reason to persevere with patient endurance because Jesus is saying, little son, just one more baby step. You're almost to the door. Just open the door. If you'll just open the door, I'm right here. I'm here. I didn't say everything's going to change. I didn't say this wind would stop blowing. Maybe. But I might have a different plan for you right now because I'm forging you into something that eye has never seen, that ear has never heard, that is beyond the imagination of anyone who has ever lived. You are not going to believe what I'm making you into. And the Bible says when Jesus is revealed on that last day, we too will be revealed. There's going to be a big reveal. My creation, my believers, I've taken all of mankind to create the church, to create believers. Now look what I've got, the bride of Christ. What does that look like? Oh, how being anchored to the rock, this foundation, so we can build a life around him that makes all other foundations seem like sinking sand, right? Paul says, you've anchored into his, by the promises of God and believing them, you've anchored into his divine nature. You've anchored into the very heart of God. That's the place to be anchored. A story is told of a shipwrecked sailor who, the rest of the people on the ship died, but he had found this rock that jutted up out of the ocean and he just hung on to it for all he was worth. He hung on for hours and finally help came. And they pulled him off the rock. He was freezing cold, teeth chattering. And the guy who pulled him off said, didn't you just like, weren't you freaking out? Weren't you totally scared? Weren't, I mean, weren't you just shaking, shaking when you're on that rock? And the sailor just kind of smiled, a half smile. And he said, yeah, I was shaking like crazy, but the rock wasn't. You see, the rock doesn't move. The rock's the only secure place. Edward Mote in 1834, he had been really having a hard time. He, he couldn't understand what God's doing. In 1834, he was a carpenter. He wrote a hymn. And the church has been singing it for almost 200 years. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. You look at all of this and it just is amazing. For 200 years, Christians who can't understand undergoing tribulation, believers who can't see God's face, they've been singing this song. And I want you to show some faith today. I want you as an act of faith to sing it with us. I've asked Samantha to come and lead it for us. So would you stand and let's sing this song together and let's just tell the Lord, it's just an old hymn, okay? It, you say, well, I don't sing good at all. Then just speak it out, okay? But it's a hymn of faith in the midst of the storm.
little bit later in, you can stay standing because I'm going to let you go. But a little bit later in this book of Hebrews, God makes a prophecy. He said, one more time, I'm going to shake everything. He hadn't done it yet. One more time, I'm going to shake everything so that that which cannot be shaken will be seen. As your pastor, I mean, I don't know if it's going to happen a thousand years from now or it's going to happen tomorrow, but I want us to be ready for whatever comes. Where's your anchor? I want you to anchor in tight to him. Go home, get in the word, get a promise, start holding on to it. Hold on to it for your marriage. Hold on to it for your kids. Hold on to those, start to pull those in and move and watch your life begin to change. We've got some people up here to pray for you. We've seen so many miracles happen. I don't know what God wants to do, but his purpose for you is good. His heart towards you is good. Little girl, he loves you. Little boy, you're his. If you stepped into this journey with him and he is making you into more than you could ever believe. Let me pray over you. God, I thank you. But you've kind of turned our, our concept of even American religion on its head today. And God, we're going to have to go home and kind of think through this. Would you, would you help us just to at least get a little peek into the spiritual realm? Would you let us feel your presence maybe just a little bit today? God, would you let us find a promise and stand on it? Thank you for what you're making us into. Don't stop. I know you won't. Make us into all you want us to be. And some of the people in this room, I'm going to be able to say, I knew them back when, when I see the amazing things that they are and everyone is stunned and amazed and I can't wait to see what you're going to do get our perspective right Father we love you, thank you that you love us with all that you are in Jesus name, Amen